to see you here. Hey, before we go into our time of teaching, first of all, my name is Michael. If we haven't heard yet, uh, just uh, uh, I'm looking forward to, to, for that opportunity, but I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, uh, second thing, um, a lot of you know this, but uh, tonight we're taking off for Israel. And so uh, I'm excited. It's our first time in, in that I've been three years because of the, the whole COVID thing. And so uh, we're, we're taking 54 people. We've got a full bus. Uh, we're going tonight. We're leaving from LAX tonight. And, uh, and so the reason I'm mentioning for a couple of reasons, number one is that we'd appreciate your prayers for our kids' health and safety and so on while we're over there. Uh, but uh, also just wanted to mention to you that if you're not already following us as a church, whether it, you know, your favorite platform is like Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, if you're not subscribed, I'd encourage you to do that because we will be shooting several videos on site while we're there that I'll be making. And, uh, and so that'd be a way for you to take the trip with us. On top of that, there's another easy way to follow along in addition to that to get our daily blogs when we're in the country. And so uh, someone from our, our, uh, our, our team will be writing a blog every day with some pictures and so on that will come automatically to your email. But you just all you have to do is go to our, our tour site, the GTI uh, tour site. So on the back of your program, it tells you how to do that. It's very simple. You just go to their website. You choose to follow, uh, follow a trip. You scroll down. You pick Rocky Peak. And then you just put in your, your uh, email address. And then every day, you'll just automatically get the blog of that day. And so I wanted to make you aware of that. Um, uh, secondly, I, I think we have a motorcycle gang here today. I'm not sure we got here. Uh, yeah, we've got, I think, the black sheep. The black sheep are here today. Is that right? Black sheep, are you here? Could you all stand up for us? We just want to welcome you. Great. All right. Anyone with a motorcycle is welcome at Rocky Peak. That's what I say. So uh, we're happy to have you here. Uh, some of our new partners, uh, Chad and uh, Claudine uh, uh, Martin, are part of uh, part of that that group, and so uh, they they are uh, kind of they visit different churches that the people in their group ride with. So they're they're kind of followers of Jesus uh, who were once black sheep, but now have been uh, brought home to Jesus. So we're we're welcome to have you guys here, your team here. All right. Uh, so I'm going to lead us in prayer. Now, if you haven't, if you haven't uh, already uh, found this inside your program, is a green and white message note sheet that we use every week. And for those even you out in patio, if you're new, uh, go ahead and take that out, if you will. Uh, I'm going to pray here, but I want to really pray as we're, we're preparing. I want to pray for the situation in Ukraine. I mean, this is just, I was reading again this morning, it's just heartbreaking what's happening there. And I want to pray that God would really intervene. And, and let's pray that God would give the leaders of the Western world uh, both the clarity and the courage to, to step in. I mean, this is situation is looking increasingly uh, not good, right? And so we just, they need wisdom. So let's, let's pray for that as well. All right, you, yeah, you guys ready to go? Okay, let's, let's go to the Lord. So Lord, at times like this, it's so important to, re to remind ourselves that you are King Jesus. You are not you're just our personal Lord and Savior, but you rule over creation. And so Jesus, we appeal to you as your people, as your church. We, we ask you to intervene uh, in this situation in Ukraine. And Lord, we, we know that you manage nations, that you, you manage the times. We know that your understanding is vastly superior to ours. You, you have a plan for human history, and we don't know what this part, this plan uh, plays. And so we, we submit to your leadership. We understand that we don't know uh, how to pray as we should. Uh, and yet, Lord, we just want to appeal to you because from our perspective, it looks like the suffering and the oppression that's hap happening there is just so evil. And so we want to pray, Lord, that in the unseen realm, we pray that in the, the powers of darkness, like in the Old Testament, the Prince of Persia and the, the Michael, the we just pray that in that unseen realm, God, you would be working out your perfect will. And we pray, Lord, that you would give the leaders of the Western world both clarity uh, and encourage. We pray this would not be like World War II, right? Well, when this is just so little clarity until it was just like too late almost. And so we just pray that for great clarity of what's appropriate action um, and that you give, give them courage to do whatever is required. Uh, we pray for the believers, especially there in Ukraine, that they would have uh, a confidence in you. You would be meeting them in a personal and powerful way that they could be lights in a dark place and they would be, the people would be drawn to them as a people who have hope in the midst of chaos. And so we pray this in 
Jesus' name, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we all said, amen. 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 Just encourage you to be praying for that in your own personal time with the Lord. You know, in James it says, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And so let's be on our knees for what's happening there. Well, our story starts today uh, after dinner. And they, they've come to this mountain city in this springtime with, with high hopes and great expectations. And they've had this amazing meal. Uh, the wine has flowed generously. And so they're, they're all sleepy, but, but their night really is just beginning. And so as they, they walk out into the, the city streets, um, this has been a hectic, hectic week in the life of this city, not only for the locals, but also for the guests, the tourists who have come here to celebrate the holidays. But this has been kind of the highlight of the week, and people have stayed up late, and so now they're tired. And as they, they walk outside, most of the city is now asleep. As they walk through the these dark, uh, kind of windy streets of this city they know so well. Uh, the brisk air begins to wake them up. And yet, if we were there, we, we would watch. It's a somber crew. It's, each of these leaders is in kind of their own world. There's not a lot of chatter going on. Because though the night is almost over for those who have come for the holidays, for this group, the night, in fact, the very dark night, has just begun. Well, today we're kicking off a brand new series. It's called Signs, the Path to Glory. And for those of you who are new, not only a special welcome, but just some context, that this series is actually like the third part of a three-part series called Signs. And, uh, and kind of the best way, I think, to think about this is we need to think of this series like we would think about like a, a popular TV drama, like, you know, like 24 or something like that, that kind of is designed for three seasons. And this would be like season three. And so what I want to do uh, today, for those of us who've been here this last year, uh, it's kind of the study through the Gospel of John, uh, but also for those who are new, uh, and also for those of us who are here but can't remember anything, um, what I want to do is at the start of season three of this new series, I want to do a brief recap, like you would do uh, at the start of a new season. Uh, and so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Signs, the series. And you'll see a couple bullets there that'll walk us through season one and season two. And so uh, season one, if you remember, was called Signs, the Path to Life. So this is where we kicked off our study of the Gospel of John. And of course, uh, at the very start, we introduced ourselves to, to John, the author of this gospel, who is one of Jesus' closest followers and friends, who near the end of his life decides to write his account of kind of the life and teaching of Jesus based on his firsthand experiences. And so if you were here back then, we were out in the parking lot back in those days. It was like, I remember teaching there in the wind and this series, like, this is a hard place to launch a series. And uh, Jesus, would you just come back? But anyway, um, but anyway, I, uh, if you were here, then you, you remember that, that uh, John kicks off his gospel like with this long intro that technically we call the prologue. It's 18 verses where, where John introduces us to the first time to Jesus. But he does it in this very kind of bold and audacious way. He makes these huge claims about Jesus and who he is and why he's come. In fact, there in your note sheet, this is how the gospel starts. He says, in the beginning, so he's intentionally echoing the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he's, he's intentionally calling that to mind. But he says, in the beginning, there's more to the story than we once knew. He says, in the beginning, there was a person there, and he calls him the Word, in, in Greek, the Logos. And, and the Word was with God, so somehow he was distinct from God, and yet, he was on to say, but he was God. This kind of mystery that would later be describing called the Trinity. And he says, and through him, all things were made. I love how it's said in the Greek, not one thing was made 
without him. Nothing has been made that has been made. And then when he got down to verse 14, he makes, makes this next bold, audacious claim that there was a time in human history when this word, you know, the word who is with God, the word who was God, the creator God, there was a time when this word became flesh. He became one of us and, and made his dwelling, remember, tabernacled with us. And so if you were here back then, the way I summarize this intro to John's gospel, which in many ways summarizes the entire gospel, is that what John is claiming, this bold claim, that there's a time and there's a place in human history when the God who created all time and space entered into his creation, became a part of the human race to reveal himself and to give us new life, which we'll talk about later today. And then after this, after this bold and audacious series of claims, then John continues on in the next 12 chapters to support those claims by, by sharing with us the teaching of Jesus and highlighting these powerful claims he makes to be one with the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and so on. He highlights these claims of who he is but then he doesn't just make these claims, he substantiates him with powerful, miraculous signs. And John highlights for us seven of these supernatural signs that Jesus performs that back up his claim, reveal who he is, and why he has come. And so when we, we come to the end of season one, it's in chapter 12, at the end of chapter 12, uh, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, but the sad thing, John says, in spite of all this teaching, in spite of these supernatural signs, that most of Israel doesn't recognize their king. Uh, they're going to reject their king. Um, and, and though they welcome him to the praise of the, to the he, he rides into Jerusalem to the praise of many in the crowd, at least, on that Palm Sunday, then the distance we see the storm clouds gathering as the religious leaders have made the decision they need to take him out for the good of the nation. And that's how we end season one. And so in season two, season two he called Signs of Path Forward. You notice it only covers four chapters, John 13 through 16, and it, it all takes place on one evening. It all takes, season two all happens in the course of one evening on the Thursday night of Passover, the, the night that Jesus is going to be later arrested. And if you remember, the, the disciples, in, they enter that night with high hopes and great expectations for the future. I mean, they seem to believe that Jesus is about to take his supernatural power they've seen demonstrated in the signs turning water into wine, healing a man's son from 16 miles away with the word, opening the eyes of the blind, walking on water, feeding the 5,000, raising Lazarus from the dead after four days in the tomb. He's gonna take this supernatural power. He's about to unleash it on Rome and bring in the long-promised Davidic kingdom of God that Israel is hoping for in power. But of course, that's not what's about to happen. And so on that night, Jesus starts that night during dinner, you remember getting up and shocking his men by walking, uh, by washing their feet as if he were a common slave and then calling them to love one another in this way. And he begins to drop on them a series of emotional bombshells. That no, no, the kingdom is not coming now. What's gonna happen now is I'm going to leave. And this time you can't follow. In fact, one of you, one of the band of brothers is going to betray us all to the religious leaders who they know is out to kill Jesus. And on top of that, your informal leader, the one you would look to if I left, Peter, the bravest of you all, before this night's over, he's going to completely disown me. And so as we watch, they're devastated. They, I don't even know how to process this. Jesus goes on to give them some positive news. You know, that, that though he's leaving, he will come back for them. They'll be together forever. That he's sending another mentor, a comforter, a, a parakletos, one called aside to help, to, to, who will come and, and empower them and lead them into all truth and, and be with them as they share the message of Jesus uh, and empower them to live this new life. And 
And that though the world is going to actually hate them and, and rebel and turn against them, that, that, that the Spirit will go with them to help them share this message of Jesus. And, and ultimately, that we will win. And the last thing Jesus says is, in this world, you'll have trouble, persecution, but, but, don't, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We win in the end, and yet, and yet these men are devastated. And this takes us back to the story Then we started the day with about these men who've come to the city with high hopes and great expectations. They've had this huge Passover meal. Their bellies are full. They've had several glasses of wine. They're becoming super depressed. They're sleepy. They just want to go to sleep. But though the city sleeps, that their night has just begun. It's going to be a very dark night. And so that's where we left them at the end of season two. Now with that brief recap, we're ready for scene one of season three, all right? Episode one. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Signs the Prayer. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up and turn on to John chapter 17. It's where we left off last fall. John 17. And so uh, this is called the, in theology, called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. But uh, we're, we're going to watch. And so it says, verse 1 says, after Jesus had said this, in other words, he talked about him leaving, about how he's coming back, how the Spirit's coming, how the world's going to hate you, how the Spirit will be with you, and so on. We went in the end, after he said these things, he's going to look toward heaven and pray. Now, just a quick sidebar here. I think this is significant. This doesn't really have to do with what we're doing today so much, but I just want to point it out that notice that when Jesus prays in the Gospels, he often, uh, he, he looks towards heaven. So when I was a little boy, I always thought when we pray, we're supposed to bow our heads and close our eyes and hold our hands together. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but notice that that doesn't come from the Bible. In the Bible, people often pray with their eyes open. Um, and I love doing that. I, love, I usually pray with my eyes open, whether I'm alone or whatever, prayer walks or whatever. And so I'm just glad that Jesus did it first so I can have an argument for doing that. So <laughs> you can pray however you want. If you like the closed eyes approach, uh, that's great. Um, I just like to pray with my eyes wide open, if you know what I'm saying. But anyway, <laughs> so after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven, right? And he prays and he says, Father, the hour has come. I want you to picture a huge, a huge bell tower with a clock in it. And the clock has just struck midnight. Boom. This is a phrase we've seen all through seasons one and two. In fact, this is, catch this, the seventh time that the hour is going to be mentioned. It's been like this ominous theme from the very beginning through. If you've never read the Gospel of John, you'd be wondering, what's he talking about? We saw it first back in chapter two where Jesus did his first miracle. His mother comes to him and says, they've run out of wine, can you help? And Jesus says, woman, what have I to do with you? My hour has not come. And back there, if you're reading for the first time, you're like, What's this hour? Five more times, this bell is going to ring. And up to chapter 12, every time it's going to say, the hour, my hour, has not yet come. But when we come into Jerusalem, this last week of his life, at the end of episode one, less of season one, Jesus changes his language. The hour has now come. This is what I was born for. This is why I've came. This is what everything is leading up to. The Lamb of God is about to become the sacrifice for the sins of the world. They're gonna open up the doors to a whole new life. The hour has come. And I want you to hear that as Jesus kneels there, he's looking up to his Father, whatever, Father, the hour has come. It's here. The reason for which I was born, it's here. 
And so in this moment of crisis, he prays and he says, so Father, here's my request. Glorify your son. Notice he doesn't use his own name there. He didn't say me. He says, this is about the son's role in the plan of redemption. And he says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And I want you to underline those words, glorify. We're going to come back and talk about this more. But what Jesus is, is really saying here is that this is the hour through which his glory, from this point on, is we're going to look back and see the glory of his son, the giving of his life, his, his resurrection from the dead, his, his ascension to be the king of creation, This is where it all begins, and he's saying, Father, help me to do what you've called me to do to receive the glory you've called me to. But he says, but but the reason I'm asking you that, and we'll see that it's always his ultimate goal, is that the Son may glorify you. And we're going to talk more about this later, but this idea is that, that, that through my life, the world will come to see you and know you the way I know you, and all your glory, your love your compassion, your mercy, your grace, your truth, your righteousness, your beauty, your creativity, that through this, they would see who you are. And then he says, and the reason I'm asking this is because you've granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. So this this hour... And what Jesus is about to go through, it's all about so that he has the authority then to give life to those who follow him. Now, remember this from season one and two, that when Jesus talks about life or eternal life, kind of the same thing, that that eternal life is not, uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, eternal life is not so much just about length of life. It's not just everlasting life. It's eternal life, the life of the ages, the life of God, the life we were created to live. And he says, so uh, that's why I've come to this hour. He said, now this is eternal life. So if you had to nail it down, like what, what is the key characteristic of this new life that Jesus has come to give us? He said, this is eternal life. Notice it's not that they live forever. <laughs> that's, that, of course, that's part of it. But he says, that, he says the, the, the core characteristic of this new life that I've come to give is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And we'll talk about this more later. But, but the essence of this new life is a new relationship with God. We come to know him in a way that's it's real. It's personal. It's firsthand. And it changes all of our life. Kind of like once I was blind, but now I see that kind of change. Now, Jesus says, I brought you glory. Notice that word again. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work. I don't know if you remember this, but in John chapter 4, really early in his ministry, Jesus told his disciples, my food, in other words, that which energizes me, sustains me, my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish the work. And what we've seen all the way through is that Jesus' top priority in life is to know, to love, to please his Father. It's why he does what he does. He doesn't do anything on his own. He does what the Father shows him to do. Jesus said, I've done that every step of the way. And the ultimate end of that is it's brought you glory. It's my life and teaching and miracles. They've revealed who you are. You know, like when you see, when you see Jesus in John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, and, and, and the religious leaders have brought her to stone, and, and Jesus sends him away. And he, he kneels, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We're seeing God revealed. And he says, this work that you've given, I've done it. And, and you've, when, when the eyes of the blind were open, we're seeing your vision for humanity. You're being revealed. And he says, so I, I've, I've done the work, I've finished the work that you've given me to do, and that's brought glory to you. And he says, and so now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. So remember who he is. We saw at the beginning. 
He's the Word who is with God, was God. As we'll see later in this prayer, that he, he shared the glory of the Father before time. And so Jesus is, is praying, okay, the t- it's time for me to come home. And, and so bring me home so I can share with you that I long for home. But it's a beautiful thing. This, this is why we're calling this series The Path to Glory. Because what we're going to see is this path to glory for the, as Jesus returns to the Father to receive his glory. But catch this, you know, John, John loves, you know, Jesus loves in John, and John loves kind of double entendre, right? He, what you, where something is true at two different levels. You say this, but it's, got, it's true at two different levels. And what we're going to see is that in, on, on the one level, it's obvious level, is that through the, through the cross and his resurrection, Jesus is going to return to the Father. This is his path to glory, to be restored. But on another, catch this, that this path to glory is going to lead through the, through the cross, which is a place of greatest shame and humiliation. And yet what we're going to see that in another sense, as he's lifted up on the cross, like, like a king would be lifted up, and as they nail that placard over his head, the king of the Jews, that in a sense, that's where we will see his greatest glory. Because it's there that we will see the heart of our king that do, is, will do whatever it takes to bring glory to the Father and whatever it takes to give you and I life. And when we worship him today, and when we give him glory today, don't we worship him for that old rugged cross? It's there that his glory, in a paradoxical sense, is most seen. And so we're going to see that throughout this series. All right, so that, that's the, uh, the passage. And uh, what I want to do today as we kick off this series is I want to focus on two key words that, that John uses, that Jesus uses in this passage that are critical, crucial for us to understand the whole message of Jesus and the entire gospel of John and who Jesus is and why he came, what it means to follow him in our life. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called signs, two key words. So let's just jump in. So the first word that you saw over and over in this passage is the word glory. So let's write that word down. Now, this is a word we don't use a lot, except in religious circles today. It's important we understand it, but I want you to notice how many times this word comes up. There in your note sheet, verse 1, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, right? Then the 17.4, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And then the next verse, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had. So, so this opening request that Jesus had is just all about glory. So it dominates this opening of this prayer. And by the way, next week we'll come back and finish this prayer. But today as we kick off this series, I just want to open on this first, this first um, set of requests that Jesus has. And so let's talk about this word glory, because glory can mean different things in different contexts, even in the Bible. And so what does Jesus mean by this word glory and, and, and his, his request that the Father would glorify him so that he could glorify the Father? And so if you think back to season one and two, one of the things that we saw over and over and over. In fact, we had a couple messages that really highlighted this, was that Jesus' top priority in life, his, his passion in life, was to know, to love, and to please his Father. Do you remember those three words? They're, they're chosen carefully. His, 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 what drove him in his life, he was to know, to love, and to please his Father. And this led to an ultimate goal was to bring glory to the Father, that he would live his life in such a way that by the way he lived, his Father would be revealed for who he is so that we could get to know the Father and we could come to know this true God and what he's really like and not what we think he's like. And so 
What I want you to catch is this is his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal of his life is to bring glory to his father. And catch this, he is willing to do whatever it takes to achieve that goal. Let me give you an example. Back at the end of season one, there's a scene where you know, Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem to the praise of many in the crowd. Um, and, and, and all of a sudden, um, John tells us that, these, that Andrew comes up to him and says, hey, there's these two um, Gentiles, like Greeks, you know, have come to, to here to worship for Passover. They're, they're not Jews, but they, they've come and they want to see if they can talk with you. And this just triggers Jesus. Or it triggers him um, in a variety of ways. Um, but what we're going to see is he comes into the city. Like, like, have you ever had a scene in your life, a situation in your life, where uh, you know something bad is coming, and you, you kind of think you're prepared, but all of a sudden you turn a corner, and, and it just suddenly like, oh my, this is horrible. Like, this is worse than I thought. And Jesus has one of those moments. That as he comes into Jerusalem, the praise of the crowds, that it just begins to dawn on him that in spite of the praise, what's coming this week and what this week is going to mean for him at the end of this week. And he's deeply troubled by this. Some of you will remember this, but do you remember the word terrasso? Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm talking to people now at our church, and they'll just bring it up. I was really terrassoed. You know, it's like part of our vernacular here at Rocky Peak. But, but you know, terrasso is this Greek word which means to be like stirred up, like a storm at sea. The sea would be terrassoed. And, of course, when it refers to a human being, it's like there's an emotional storm going on uh, where, where, like Jesus said to his men on this last night, do not let your souls be terrassoed. And as Jesus is coming into the city, we're told that the reality of what's coming hits him, and it hits him hard. Do you remember at the end of the week, John won't describe this, but in the other Gospels, you know how he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying, and do you remember how the writer of Hebrews describes it? He was face down, he was calling out to God, his Father, with loud cries and tears, begging not to go through this. That, that's an image of someone who's deeply terrassoed. And as Jesus comes into the city earlier in the week, this looms ahead of him, and it's like it really hits him hard. Um, and so let's see how he responds to this. So there in your note sheet, he says in that, that scene, he says, now my soul is terrassoed, and what shall I say? How shall I respond to this fear? And he said, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? Let's get me out of here. And he says, no. For it was this very reason I came to this, what? This hour. Right, the, the clock is starting moving towards 12. He says, no. And look, no, next what he says, he says, Father, here, here's, in the midst of this terrasso, in the midst of this fear, he's going to say, Father, what? Glorify your name, come hell or high water. The passion of my life, the ultimate goal of my life is that through me, you would be revealed. Your love, your power, your grace, your wisdom, your brilliance. So whatever it takes. So we'll leave it there for right now, but I just want you to understand his ultimate goal of his entire life. He would, he would, no, he would love, he'd please his father. That was his passion, and that led to his ultimate goal, whatever it takes to bring glory to the Father. Number two, the second key word is the word life. And of course, we, we saw this today. Jesus says that, hey, this is why I've come to this hour, that, that I would have the authority then to give life to those you have given me, to those who come to me. And and, and then he goes on and he describes this life. You know, this, this is eternal life, that they would know you. And so in a sense, in season three, we're, we're bringing season one and two to a close. I mean, Jesus has talked about this life from the very beginning. And he's used a, a, a wide series of, 
a wide variety of metaphors to help us understand this new life. Like we see it first in John chapter three. Remember when he talked to the religious leader Nicodemus and he said, Nicodemus, in order to enter this new kingdom, you have to be what? You have to be born again. Something has to happen to you. The fleshly life you have just as a human being, that doesn't cut it. To be a part of what's coming, this, this, you, you need something to happen to you. You need new life given by the Spirit. Something has to happen to you. You remember in John chapter four, he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he offers her this water of life. He says that's the only thing can satisfy the deepest thirst of the human heart. Whoever drinks of this will never thirst again. You remember when we got to John chapter six, the day after he had fed the 5,000 men and their families, you remember what he said? He said, he offered to give us the bread of life of which a, a, a person eats would satisfy the deepest hunger of the human heart. You'll never, you'll never hunger again. You got to chapter eight and he says, hey, whoever follows me will have the light of life. You'll no longer walk in darkness. And one of his clearest statements was in John chapter 10, perhaps thinking back to David, you know, David the shepherd, right, who, who gave, you know, he, he defended his sheep Right, I killed, the, I killed the lion, I killed the bear. Maybe perhaps thinking of that, Jesus says, I'm the ultimate shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and I, I've come, and I'll give my life up to protect my sheep. And in that context, he said there in your note sheet, this is the second verse down, he says, I have come that they might have what? Life. Okay, I know it's nine o'clock, but come on, like, help the boy, all right? Okay, I have come that they might have life, thank you. Uh, and they might have it what? To the full, in the Greek, exceedingly, abundant, uh, uh, kind of overflowing, um, uh, remarkable life. And so th throughout this gospel, Jesus has told us time and time, this is why I've come, to give you this life. But today is the first time in this prayer that he defines for us what is the essence, the core characteristic of this new life. And he says it there in your note sheet, in the first verse there, he says, this is eternal life, this life of the ages, that, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus whom you have sent. This is the essence, like, if you're saying, what is, what would, if you receive this life, like, what is it about this life that satisfies the deepest thirst of the human heart? What is it that satisfies the deepest hunger? What is it that turns on the light for the rest of life? Like, what is it about this life that is the secret of life to life to the fall? And Jesus says, it, at its core, it's about a relationship a relationship that is real, that's powerful. The blinders are taken off your eyes. You know who God is. You know who Jesus is in ever-increasing measure. And that alone can satisfy this deepest thirst and hunger of the human heart, all right? So now, so we've taken some time to talk about these two words. What I wanna do now is get really practical and ask you a couple poignant questions about your life. And honestly, you'll probably, you're gonna need to take these home, think about them, pray about them this week. They're extremely profound questions that flow out of this pro extremely profound uh, prayer of Jesus, right? So here we go. The first question, there you know, she signs two key questions. Number one, where are you looking for life? Where are you looking for life? You know, we saw, like, in John chapter 4, we, you know, Jesus has this conversation with a Samaritan woman. Do you remember her story? She, she'd been married five times. She was currently living with her boyfriend. She was looking for life in all the wrong places. 
And it's an interesting thing because what we've seen all through the gospel of John, chapter, uh, season one, season two, and now in season three as it comes to a head, is that this is the offer Jesus is putting out to us. It's why he's come, to give us this new life, this life of the next age, the, the life that will never end, the, the life of Jesus himself. He calls it eternal life. This is the offer, and yet, I don't know about you, but have you not found that even as followers of Jesus, that many times, even after we've come to Jesus and tasted of this new life, that many times we run after other things to satisfy the deepest thirst and the deepest hunger of the human heart. I call these other things the seven Ps we pursue. Seven, now you say, are are there more than seven? There might be, but you can't have 42 Ps in a message, and seven is the perfect number. So that's where I stopped, right? So I'm gonna give you the seven Ps of our normal kind of fleshly pursuit to satisfy this deepest hunger of the human heart. And what I want you, as I'm going through these, I want you to be kind of evaluating your own life and seeing, hey, where do you seek for life? Jesus says the secret of life is in this, at its core, is this relationship with creator that's ever growing and deepening. Um, and so these are seven alternatives where we often seek the secret of life. And so number one is people. The first P is people. And so, uh, now, different, different people here, we will have different P's in our life, all right? So we're going to have some combination. You know, you might be a, a three, four, and eight, seven P. You know, you might have, but we're going to have different combinations, but see which ones you have. So, so for many people, we seek the secret of life in people, in certain kinds of relationships. This may have been the Samaritan's woman's story. as She's, she's gone through five husbands and is now living with a guy right, in a culture where that's just completely unheard of. And so, so maybe that's part of her story, right? She is seeking to satisfy this deepest thirst through a relationship. And there's many people like this. I think of our music. It strikes me all the time. Popular music almost exclusively is about finding the love of your life. Almost exclusively, right, when you're talking about popular music. It's constantly talking about relationship. It's like one of the greatest gods of our culture, that if I can just find the love of my life, if I can just find my soulmate, I'll be happy. Right? And so, so we search for that often. Sometimes it's not in that kind of, sometimes it's in a great friendship. If I could just find the David and Jonathan friendship in my life. For some of us, it's, it's more like, no, if I could just get married and have kids, and you just kind of picture that perfect table, you know, with three kids around it and everyone's loving one another and there's no phones in the picture. And it's just, it's like, that would be like, hey, that's my goal in life, right? A second P, a second P is the P of possessions. Now, for some people, this is not it, but for some of us, we live for the next motorcycle. <laughs> I'm just getting it off the table so that you don't... <laughs> The whole time, what about you? What about you? Okay, so for some, it's about, for some of you, that's not it. You're not into possessions. But for some of us, our life is about acquisition. What, 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 it kind of, what uh, dominates our thoughts, what dominates our emotions is what we're buying next. Right? And there's always a next. Like, so, so for one person, it, it's the motorcycle, it's the, the car, it's the dune buggy, it's the toy hauler, it's, you know, whatever the thing is. And for someone else, it's, hey, the new drapes. But when it gets the new drapes, well, now we've got to paint it because the house looks bad. And now we got to, hey, we need a carpet on the stairs, and hey, we need some new flooring here. And, you know, those counters are looking old. We need new counters. And when we get the house perfect, hey, just get rid of this house, get a bigger house, right? And so we, we live our life in a state of acquisition, constantly the next possession. For some of us, it's number three, it's a position. It's not, it's a, hey, if I can just 
if I can just get my doctorate and then if I can just kind of get hired by a university full time and then if I can just get tenure, right? And then, and then if I can just become well known for the articles I write or if I can just be quarterback of the team or if I can just be the cheerleader or if I can just rise in my company, just a little bit more work, I can get the, the next position and then there'll be the next position and we spend our life climbing the ladder, finding out at the end it's on the wrong building. For some of us, it's not position, it's power. And when I, when I think of this, I, I think of what's going on in Ukraine right now. Right, this has been one of the, the driving forces of the human race from day one, not from, from, from day one of the fall at least, is this acquisition. For, we can see it on a global level throughout history. This drive to dominate others, why? But we see it at the macro level, but we see it at the, the micro level. I remember being at Calvary Chapel back in the early days with Chuck Smith. And, and I remember uh, hearing him say, hey, there's some people, if you make them the usher, just to give some programs that help them find them. Before you know it, they're like the Gestapo at the door. <laughs> they're checking you out, your hair's too long because of the Jesus movement thing, you know, your hair's too long, those jeans have too many holes, they're stopping people. It's like, you've seen this, right? You've seen it like people at work, hopefully not in your own life, but you've seen it at work where, where someone rises to a new role and now they start getting ball bossy. They start like holding it over other people. So for some people, it's power. For a fifth kind of person, it's pleasure. And this pleasure can come in many different varieties. It may just be the pleasure of hedonism, kind of the old sex, drugs, rock and roll, the party life, right? But for others, it's like, you know, it's just like, hey, constant travel, constant cruises. For others, it's the good life. It's a life of luxury. It's a life of comfort. This is what drives us. For others, number six, it's popularity. For some, it's how many likes can I get on my Facebook? That drives me, right? I, I live for how many likes I can get, and, and that just reflects a general approach to life that what drives me is to be in the in crowd. I need to be on the in crowd. Or if I'm outside of it, just to be accepted by others. And so we live this codependent life where, where we just kind of never being who we are because we just, we just need, we crave the approval of others and we can't, we can't stand it when anyone's upset with us. And so we live for the popularity, the approval of others. Number seven, as a catch-all, I call it pursuits. We can't go on here forever with peace and so I'm just gonna put this uh, like a, a basket thing. Like, that, you know, for one person is this, for one person is that. It's, you know, scuba diving for this person. It's crafts for that person. It's, it's different, but if you stood back and look at our time and energy and what rules our heart, it's these other things. And I want you to catch this, that many of these things are good things. These are not bad things. Many of these things are God's greatest gift to us. But catch this. When you take a good thing and you make it the ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. And for beginning to end, the Bible is teaching us that there is nothing in creation that can satisfy the deepest hunger and thirst of the human heart that can only be satisfied by the creator. And so the question is, as we come to this, entering this third season and we build on season one and two, the question is that, that Jesus, that here, here's what I want you to catch. Jesus is about to go to the cross so that he has the authority to give you life. This is the price he's gonna pay so that you can experience the life you were created for, eternal life. And the question is, to what extent do we believe him? 
And are, where are we looking? Like, are we, do we really believe that, hey, the secret of life is going deeper into this relationship with the true God and with Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that? Do, do our lives reflect that? The way we spend our time, our money, our energies, do our lives reflect that, that we believe him, that the essence of life to the full flows out of a deeper and deeper relationship with the creator, not with other people, not with other stuff, not with other pursuits. That these things are good servants. They make horrible masters. Do we believe him? And does our life reflect that? If you were to look at our calendar, our checkbook, like does our life reflect that passionate pursuit of the only true God? and an ever-deepening relationship that alone can center our lives and out of which flow the rest of our life. Number two, the second question is, what is your ultimate goal? As you sit here today, what is your ultimate goal? And this is probably going to take some time to think through, maybe pray through this week. It's not an easy question to answer, but what we've seen throughout season one and two, we referred to again today, is that, that when it comes to Jesus, his driving passion, his top passion is to know, to love, and to please his Father. And out of that comes this ultimate goal to bring glory that, that through his life, people would see the Father in all his beauty and his glory and his wisdom and his power and his love and his mercy and his righteousness and his truth. And he's willing to do whatever it takes for that to happen. And what I want you to catch, and this is very, uh, this is very profound, but it's not easy to hold on to, so kind of zoom in with me here. What I want you to catch is there is a relationship between experiencing eternal life here and now and what our ultimate goal is in life. It is impossible to experience the life of God when we're living for ourselves. It's impossible. They are in Like if we want to experience this new life that Jesus has come to give we have to align our priorities with his. It's impossible to live a new life living for ourselves. And Jesus talks about this. Uh, and this last week of his life, remember he comes into Jerusalem and, uh, and, and we talked about this, this, this moment where it's all becoming real to him. And in that context, he says there on your note sheet, he says, the hour has come for the son of man to be what? Glorified, right? Okay. It's here, the moment I was born for, uh, that through the cross, through his death, through his resurrection, this is going to be his path to glory. Then he says, very truly. Now, when he says very truly, many will remember this from our season one and two, but what does that mean? Amen, amen, amen right? In the Greek, for those of you who are new, when the NIV New International Version says very truly, that's the way they translate these true Greek words, amen, amen, which means truly, truly, or take it to the bank. It's kind of Jesus' way of putting neon lights around what he's about to say. Do not miss what I'm, ta- I'm about to say. It's spiritual gold. Take it to the bank. So he says, very truly, amen, amen, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Now, this is just, this is just very, this is not saying something profound. He's just saying this is the way life works. They, they're familiar. They're an agrarian culture. We, we may not follow this, but he says, hey, you take a, a, a you know, like a, you, you've got a stock of wheat. And it's got the head with all the grains. You just pluck off one of those. He said, you put it on your kitchen counter. You come back a year later. What do you have? You've got one kernel of wheat. It's still sitting there. He says, but you take that same kernel of wheat, you, you bury it in the ground, and with the pressure of the earth, with the heat from the sun, the cold of the night, it, it kills the seed. It cracks the seed. And out of that, a new stock comes. And when that new stock comes, it's got a whole head of grain. And so out of the one comes the many. But it requires the death of the one for the life of the many. Now, 
Jesus is the one. This is why the hour has come. It's why he's going into the ground so that out of his life, new life will come for us. Okay, but notice what he says. What he says next is that this is not only the path to glory for me, this is the path to glory for everyone who follows me. And so what he says next is anyone who loves me, um, loves their life rather, anyone who loves their life, like their natural human life, right? We live for ourselves, we live for our own glory. He says anyone who loves their life will lose it. But anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for what? Eternal life. Like if you, if you want to receive this new life, this eternal life, if you want to, to taste and see that, that life, you have to walk the path to glory that Jesus did. You have to die to your will. You have to die to your agenda. You have to die to your preferences. You have to do the works God has assigned for you. And through that, God will be revealed. And so let me ask you a question. In light of this, and what would you say your ultimate goal in life? It's very clear for Jesus, his ultimate goal, whatever it takes, is to live his life, even going to the cross in order that his Father would be revealed. What is your ultimate goal? So let me give you some specifics. Like if you're dating right now, what's your ultimate goal for that relationship? If you're married, what's your ultimate goal for your marriage? If you have a family and children, what's your ultimate goal for your children? You serve in a ministry or a life group leader. You're a life group host. You, you work with students. You work with kids. You're on first impressions. What's your ultimate goal in serving? You, you have a career and What's your ultimate goal for your career? You know, often, if we're honest, if we're honest I think our answers would go something like this. My ultimate goal is to be happy. My ultimate goal is to be comfortable. My ultimate goal is to be successful. Hey, what's my, what's my goal? My, I want my kids to be successful. Can I tell you something? If your ultimate goal is for your kids to be successful in this world, you have betrayed a high calling, a sacred trust on your life. Because the ultimate goal for our kids would they would be grow up to be passionate Christ followers. Their top passion is to know him, to love him, and to please him, and to do whatever it takes to bring him glory. What's your ultimate goal for your, for your marriage? Just to be happy? What's your ultimate goal for your career? Just that so you'd be respected and achieved? Or is it, God, whatever you do in my career, I just want what you want, and I want you to use my career to bring you glory. What is your ultimate goal? See, here's the sad thing. When we live for secondary goals, we live for other goals, the sad thing is, is that even if we achieve them, we lose. Because we have not taken the path to eternal life that alone can satisfy. These things can be great blessings underneath his leadership. But again, will never satisfy the hunger and thirst of our heart when they're driving the bus. So if we want to experience this new life that Jesus has come to give us, we have to walk the path that he's taking. And it's the path to glory. My life, my possessions, my emotions, my marriage, my kids, my bank account, or whatever you want. My top goal in life, my top passion, I want to know you, I want to love you, and I want to please you. 
I want to carry out the works that you've assigned to me so that you can receive glory. And that is the path to freedom. It's the path to life. And for every one of us, it's the path to glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we come today, and these things are hard for us. It's just not natural. Like, what's natural for us is to live for ourselves, to live for our own glory. It's what we truly believe that will lead to life. It will lead to freedom. And yet, Lord, you've come to say, no, no, no. Follow the path I've marked. Live to please him. Live to know him. This is a path of life. Go ever deeper. Listen and follow. Surrender to whatever he calls you to. In the process, you will find life. He will be glorified. And in the end, you will share the glory with him that you were created for. We pray that you write these truths on our heart, open our eyes by the power of your spirit, that with everything we have, we might live for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.